two, Jeff Cameron Show, 97.9 ESPN Radio. Hello, thanks for listening. Appreciate you. I'm Jeff. That is Director Matthew. We are online, ESPNTallahassee.com. That's where you're going to listen live via the streaming free always. If you miss anything, go back and get caught up at your leisure as uh, we'll post all three hours. Apple Podcast and wherever you get podcasts. If you want to email the show, you can. JCS at 979ESPNRadio.com. Twitter, um, at Jay Cameron Show, YouTube, hello. Anything else that I'm missing there? Head's been swimming a lot lately. We've just been undergoing so many changes, and there's the uh, the the impending uh, end to the radio station. <laughs> it just kind of makes it tough <laughs> to concentrate. Uh, we've had technical issues for the better part of a year. Uh, that are out of my control and that pissed me off nonetheless. So if I seem a little scattershot over these last uh, couple of months, please forgive. It just, it just hit me during the break. I'm like, man, there's no real consistency here these days. What a mess. The most consistent thing we've got going for us at ESPN Radio is Director Matthew. That's it. That's all. That's that guy right there across the glass for me. Doing good work, being reliable, answering questions, showing up on time, putting in his work. I'm not reliable these days. Technology here is not reliable these days. Podcasts getting distributed on time when the show's over, not reliable these days. So, bear with. But you know what is reliable right now? Good news in the world of recruiting for Florida State. Seems like once a week we get another great moment. So if you would, sir, let's fire it up. Hello once again, friends. It's time. For what them kids do it. Never that What's that kid bitch? How fast is he rolling? Hey, uh, who, who, who let you in here? Look at him. I bet he can bitch a lot. What them kids doing, Jeff? What them kids doing on a Thursday with all the news surrounding Florida State at ACC kickoff? You get this. You get the news that Chris Parson announced today that he's committed to Florida State. He, for the class of 2023, uh, checkmark good beginning. Uh, as you get a quarterback, depending on where you look, three or four stars, uh, who is, well, you know, he's a pro-style quarterback, big, strong arm, Brentwood, Tennessee, just over six feet tall, 200-plus pounds, solidly built. Um, you know, to find out what you're getting in Chris Parson is um, is a yes from a guy that is well thought of, and, and I think Florida State's going to take two quarterbacks in that class. So uh, at that point, you start there, it's a pretty good one. Um, and I think reason for us to be excited. I, I don't, you know, on this show, spend an inordinate amount of time talking about recruiting, in particular recruiting for the class of 2023. But Florida State's in a rebuild. And when you're in a rebuild and you're trying to find uh, reason to believe that this thing is moving out from the basement into the uh, at least to the middle floors of the condo, uh, then you need to see signs in recruiting, first and foremost, that your message is resonating and that you are being seen as a destination by the upper crust of uh, those competing in high school football, making their way very soon to the collegiate ranks. And, um, you know, this is a guy that, um, I, I, without question, if you go and you read Michael Langston's piece on warchant.com, you'll see uh, gives this class a big boost. Um, you know, this is, this is, is good news. And, um, 
I think that uh, I could probably end it there by just saying, again, go watch the film. You'll like the arm strength. Um, but, you know, again, there's not – it's 2023. I, I don't – I'm not going to lose sight of who I am and what we talk about. I'm just going to note that there was a reason to hit the button for what them kids doing, and they've got a, a quarterback um, that uh, is able to – Get the ball out of his hand accurately, down the field, on time, has uh, good velocity, and that's good enough for me. He's mobile as well. So, all right, we'll monitor him. He's next on the list. Good news for Florida State on that front. That's what it's been this entire offseason has been good news for Florida State. We've had one yes after another from kids that you, you know, you you wouldn't suspect would say yes to a place that's uh, not had a winning record in some time. and. I don't know that they'll have a winning record again this year. Again, that's the topic uh, of the day. I think this is interesting, and I'm going to bring this up next hour when we have Tom on. But yesterday I was only able to pay a very limited amount of time to the topic that really got everybody thinking about the bigger picture. And that was, are we on the cusp? of, again, more of an earthquake in college football where conference realignment and those running for the hills try to find a safe place to continue to milk the cash cow. And that became the talking point because, of course, the story broke yesterday, um, and we were obviously on to other things at that time, uh, that Oklahoma and Texas began exploring a departure from the Big 12 and reached out to the Southeastern Conference. And in an article written by Brandon Marcello, he cited that uh, this had been talked about for months, that they had been looking to leave or were interested in leaving uh, the, Southeast, uh, the, the, the Big 12 for the Southeastern Conference months ago. Now, Greg Sankey asked about the Houston Chronicles report, didn't really want to get into it. He didn't, you know, he's the SEC commissioner and it's SEC media days right now. And he thought, I, uh, this is not what I wanted. In fact, this is what he said. I'm here to talk about the 2021 season. So there you go. He didn't want to talk about that. Uh, and so at this point, what you wanted to know is who reached out to who? who, who who's, you know, was the SEC courting Oklahoma and Texas or did Texas and Oklahoma maybe look over there and think that the grass was greener and that the Big 12 and the the disparate money situation between the Big 12 and the SEC was only growing and maybe it's time as the blue bloods of this conference that we ride the hell out. Now, of course, immediately one would think that Texas A&M would go, whoa, 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 whoa. What are we doing here? This is not why we left the Big 12 to go to the SEC so you could just screw us over and bring Big Brother over a couple years later. Nay, nay, that's not what we want. And uh, I would guess that 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 ain't cool if you're them. Um, Now, in fact, I'll give their athletic director at Texas A&M credit. Ross Bjork uh, did not not seem too thrilled and did not withhold uh, a comment. Asked about it, he said, we would like to be the only SEC team from the state of Texas. That's direct. That is as direct as it gets. That's what he said to Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. 
There's a reason why Texas A&M left the Big 12, and it was to stand alone and have our own identity. That is our feeling about this potential move. Okay, again, direct. Thank you. Thanks for not beating around the bush. No pussyfooting. I like it. Texas and Oklahoma would need approval from at least 11 of the SEC's 14 schools to be formally added to the conference. The SEC, however, usually asks for unanimous approval among all 14 schools, even though it is not written in the conference's bylaws. The Aggies could be a roadblock in that case. However, SEC athletic directors had not yet formally discussed the possibility as of yesterday, and should the conference move forward with the process, Politicking could lead to unanimous support. The SEC, as you guys know, recently signed a massive deal that has all of us here in the ACC, and in particular at Florida State, getting a little bit more and more uncomfortable as the days and weeks and years go by about the gap that continues to grow financially between teams that play in the SEC and the Big Ten and everybody else. That contract with the Giant, that is ESPN, led to uh, exclusivity, a broadcasting of the conference's college football games beginning real soon, 2024. They've not yet scheduled beyond 2025, the year the current format and rotation is set to expire in college football. Sankey did tell uh, media outlets that uh, news of Oklahoma and Texas was published that the conference began before the conference, uh, the conference began discussing scheduling in January of 2020, but those talks ended as they focused their administrative efforts on navigating the COVID-19 pandemic. Expanding the conference to 16 teams would throw a wrench into the entire situation, including whether to eliminate divisions and expand the conference schedule from eight to nine games or more. And there's the real winner in all of this as a college football fan. One thing that would have to happen and would likely happen is that, in fact, if they were to join the SEC, which is not going to be good for Florida State and anybody else not in the SEC, is that if you do like college football, that would probably end uh, divisions and you would get nine conference games without question at that point. So, you know, at this point, I did crack up about this. Here's your quote. Jimbo Fisher asked directly about it, and I figured he'd have a comment, uh, never one to hold back. When told that Texas was interested in joining the SEC, he said, and he's good for this, he said, I bet they would like to join the SEC. <laughs> he went on to say, listen, we've got the greatest league in ball. Because, of course, he said ball. The choices that they make with what they do, I don't know about that. But I know how I feel about it. I'm just worried about Texas A&M. I control what I want to control here. Yes, yes. The things with which you do. I got it, Coach. Uh, Oklahoma State, understandably, fearful that they will be even more irrelevant than they already are, released a statement expressing disappointment in the possibility of Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, would, I, would, I would think. If true... We would be gravely disappointed. That is, that is correct, by the way. Uh, gravely disappointed is the right way to phrase uh, Oklahoma State's state of mind if Oklahoma and Texas leave the Big 12. Because the Big 12 is dead if they do. Gravely disappointed is the right way to phrase it. 
We place a premium on history, loyalty, and trust to be assured we will aggressively defend and advance what is best for Oklahoma State and our strong athletic program, which continues to excel in the Big 12 and nationally. Eh, eh. You can puff out your chest if you want, but I'm glad you're going to aggressively defend what's best for Oklahoma State, which is to hang on for dear life and plead with Oklahoma to take you with them. You are a peon in the big scheme of things while they are a giant. Got to suck to be in that situation. That said, we're not too far from it around these parts with what's happened here over the last several years. God dog it to pick a time to be staggering about blind in the wilderness in the hopes that we're getting this thing turned around. Man, it just feels like so much is about to happen in the next two years, three years. You've got to get it moving in the right direction again. What a year. What a year we have before us. Jeff Cameron Show, 97.9 ESPN Radio. Good song. Jeff Cameron, Show 97.9 ESPN Radio. Uh, you know, we didn't talk about this. We didn't react to this with so much going on. I, you know, it's pretty obvious now that Aaron Rodgers hates the Green Bay Packers. I mean, are we done talking about this now? That dude's not coming back for nothing. Now, he will this year, and I don't think there's any doubt about that. He's going to play football for the Packers this year. Here's your last best chance. Uh, that the run of amazing quarterback play in Green Bay is legendary. Got to be a little frustrating to have two Hall of Fame quarterbacks back-to-back and not have more to show for it. But, I mean, it's not as if they haven't won. I mean, of course, he, Aaron Rodgers himself has won a title there, and Brett, Brett Favre won a title there, but just the singular titles with uh, two of the uh, all-time best at what they do. Aaron Rodgers, in particular, all-time best at what he does. I have talked about this a lot where, you know, my argument, I'm usually pro player. I'm usually always pro player. I'm not in those hallways. I don't know what kind of interactions he's had with the upper brass of Green Bay to know for certain that this is an Aaron Rodgers problem and not a, you know, Green Bay executives problem. Could very well be a Green Bay executives problem. I, I, that I don't know. From the outside looking in, it has felt very much like Aaron Rodgers is a child. It has felt very much like Aaron Rodgers wants to be treated in such a way that he is put on a pedestal above and beyond what is reasonable in my mind. But again, I don't know. I don't know. But what we began to speculate was that, and the reason I said that was, initially this was framed by the people covering the Packers and those covering the NFL as an issue that Green Bay hasn't done enough for Aaron Rodgers from a personnel standpoint and that they went out 
and drafted a quarterback instead of bringing in more offensive talent that he could utilize right now to make a run to the Super Bowl. And my point about that was, well, when is it all right to draft your quarterback of the future? Does your quarterback have to be 42? Does he have to be 45? Like, when are you allowed to think about your future? The Bucs just drafted a quarterback in this draft. Kind of have to, given that their quarterback's 43 years old. It's a good idea. And Rodgers being on the other side of that should know that's how it... That's how it works. He was drafted to be Favre's replacement. That apparently didn't go over well with Favre, but eventually it worked out, and him having to sit behind Favre and then getting the turn that he did, it worked out well. But even if you just pass forward to the now... They are loaded. The Packers have an elite offense. He put up, oh, I don't know, the kind of numbers that do what? Win you an MVP? Yeah, he won an MVP with the personnel they have, and that's not all him being magical, although he is. There's no getting around the unique gifts of Aaron Rodgers. Nobody would deny that. I don't know that I've ever seen a better thrower of the football. I, I, I Really, I would argue probably that is the best I've ever seen. Anybody throw a football. Now, there is a young man in Kansas City who is <laughs> making a run at the title because watching him do things in which he throws no-look passes in the game of football is really extraordinary. But that said, Aaron Rodgers just won the MVP. They won enough games during the regular season that they were home for the NFC Championship game. That's, that how, that's how close they came to going to the Super Bowl. And I think there's a good chance, with Kansas City being as banged up as they were, that Green Bay would have won that Super Bowl the same way that the Bucks did. Because I kind of like that Green Bay defense. It's not dreadful. And the matchups they would have had up front with the injured Kansas City offensive line, hey, that's, them's the breaks. Health is a part of this. I think Green Bay probably would have won that game. Not as easily as the Bucks did, because, of course, the Bucks swept Green Bay. But what I would say is... You can't cry poor mouth you don't have talent when you put up MVP, when you, when you put up the stats that allow you to win the MVP and you host the NFC Championship game. Just win the game. Win the game at home. And you're going to the Super Bowl. So I kept thinking, well, what is this bitching about? I don't have this. I don't have that. Well, you've got an elite running back, an elite receiver. You've got a good offensive line. What the hell are you talking about? But now we know that, in essence, it's not about that. Because he turned down an offer that would have made him the highest-paid player in the history of football. He turned down an offer that would have made him the highest-paid quarterback. We already know what Patrick Mahomes just got, so there it is, right? He doesn't want to be there, period. If anything, he's just looking to get out of the time that remains on the current contract, not an extension. So this is not about all of the stuff that we've spent or that the NFL reporters and those covering the Packers and others that speculate on TV on a daily basis, none of this was about the things they said it was about at all. It's about that he doesn't like somebody with the Packers and his his friends and those around him that will leak information and probably, in some cases, directly Aaron Rodgers, have made it abundantly clear that it's more about he's felt mistreated or disrespected by certain people brass of the Green Bay Packers. In particular, it seems there's a GM that he absolutely hates with every fiber of his being, enough to say, I will never come back. Man, Packers are unique, of course, because they don't have one owner. They're owned by the city, and that's why it's kind of a unique situation. But you would wonder, whoever is effectively acting in that role, would you not really want to investigate to the extent that you would say, I'm going to fire that that guy because I can't let this guy go. I can't be the guy on the hook that let Aaron Rodgers leave. 
Because we've already been incredibly fortunate. And you know what? I'm going to be honest here, just a hunch. I could be way off, and maybe it's dismissive and unfair. Doesn't feel like Jordan Love's going to be the guy. You know, he didn't get on the field not even once last year. I'm not sure he suited up for many games either. That's usually a sign you got some problems. <laughs> it's Jeff Cameron, Joe 9790, ESPN Radio. Change the difference between what you want and what you need. There's a Jeff Cameron, Show 97.9 ESPN Radio. Hope this finds you doing well. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jeff. That's Director Matthew. Reminder there. Really quickly, Chris writes, uh, I don't know how I feel about that statement. What statement is he alluding to? This statement from Jordan Travis, where he credits the FSU coaching staff today at the ACC kickoff for keeping him interested in the game. Quote, a year ago today, I didn't know if I wanted to play football anymore. Um, and talked about what this coaching staff did to sort of rejuvenate his love and rekindle his passion for the game. Chris writes to me, he didn't seem very confident up there. As Jeff Cameron show has said, he's got to act like he's got a real shot at the position. And he didn't. Um, okay, so this is interesting. We're going to bring in Tom Wang of Warchant.com, my colleague, in the next hour. Um to talk about this. I, I, you know what, Chris, I don't know that I'd make the leap as far as you did there um, to, to make it seem as if he doesn't think he has a real shot at the job, but what he did do with that statement uh, amongst others that he said today was seemingly introduce the idea that, um, that he could lose the job. Now, I can look at this a couple of different ways. On the one hand, I think it's a relief to hear him say that whether he is starting or alongside McKenzie Milton, I'm paraphrasing, I don't have the quote, the direct quote in front of me. I did earlier when I brought it up. Um, but, you know, his thoughts on it would be great to be on the field at the same time, you know, side by side. Well, the only way that happens, obviously, is if McKenzie Milton is there as a passer starting a quarterback and he's there on the field as both a decoy who can throw the football but also as a guy who can make plays with the ball in his hand. He's electrifying. So that is, a, to me, a sign that he is showing a willingness to do those other things if he doesn't win the job, which would mean that he concedes there's a distinct possibility he might not win the job. Now, when you think of fierce competitors, when you think of the fiercest competitors, the idea of them balancing uh, that, that, that desire to win the job and also 
acknowledging they might not, that kind of really rarely comes into play. Most fierce competitors just focal focus solely on the idea that they're going to win the job and they're going to do everything in their power to win the job. And the thought of not winning the job never really crops up until they have to confront that because they have not won the job. And now there is this other consideration because the battle that was waged is over and I've lost. Somebody else is going to do the thing that I desperately wanted to do. Now what's my role? Other than to be a great teammate, be supportive of that player, and do whatever my coaches ask of me. Ideally, that's what you want from your team players, your team leaders, is that willingness to do whatever it is your team needs you to do in order to win football games, improve, in this case, the offensive unit. And for me, I think that's interesting um, because I wondered, quarterback's unique. It's not like, so if you have a wide receiver who's on the bulky side, you know, uh, or, you know, or a tight end who's on the leaner side and can really run, you might ask them to, to, make some sort of changes to what they're willing to do, either line up at tight end or receiver or vice versa. If you've got a guy, I mean, we've done it here at Florida State. I remember when Jimbo did it. I mean, if you've got an electrifying playmaker who has perhaps the muscle density to handle it, you might have a, a wide receiver that ends up being a, a tailback and, and, and running uh, out of the backfield for you and also lining up out wide. So there's the versatility that we see sometimes in these multidimensional players who have – uh, you know, enough fast twitch and speed, but also size to do it all. But quarterback's one where when a guy considers himself a quarterback, and, you know, for me, Jordan Travis certainly does consider himself a quarterback. Remember, he's also said that, you know, um, when when he was coming out of high school and he was thinking about where to go play football, uh, you know, the, the thought about him running around really didn't come to mind. It was more about his arm. He feels like his arm is underrated. And perhaps it is underrated in the sense of um, having the tools to throw the ball down the field, but I don't think it's uh, a unique uh, arm in terms of arm strength or accuracy. It's certainly not that. No, he's he's valuable as a weapon, as somebody who can really – uh, make plays when nothing's there. His value isn't throwing into tight windows on third and obvious and making big plays to keep drives going with his arm. Now, he'll beat you with his legs in that way occasionally. You allow him to get outside. And, yeah, if he is able to extend a play, he has the arm strength to get the ball down the field to an open receiver. But I have wondered if when this battle got started, at any point it became apparent that Mackenzie Milton was going to win the job, how would Jordan Travis respond? What would he be willing to do? Because, and here's why. Mackenzie Milton, it, let's just say he wins the job this year, and I think he's going to win the job and be the starting quarterback for Florida State in the fall. I think that the, the last time we saw him was a hugely positive sign, a big step forward. Mackenzie Milton did not have a very good spring. If we were grading on the whole, of the performances we were able to watch at practice. And then we got to go to them because, thankfully, Mike Norvell has open practices. So what we saw was a guy that was wildly inconsistent, was getting reacclimated to uh, to football. He had obviously missed a lot of time. He also had to wear this incredibly cumbersome brace on his knee, um, yet he was still able to move around a little bit better than I think we thought we'd see. But he wasn't very accurate. 
And, you know, we all kind of speculated why that might be. A lot of it had to do with the fact that he was a guy just getting back to playing football again, but also because he clearly didn't know the offense. And, you know, there's a learning curve. You can't just step in here and have a grasp of this offense in its entirety uh, from week one on. So you're going to look rusty, and you're going to look a little wonky at times, not knowing where you're going with the football. But I will say as the weeks went by, he looked better and better. He'd have a good day, then a bad day, then a good day, as opposed to bad day, bad day, bad day early on. And it culminated with him having a very good spring game. Really some throws that left you thinking, oh, wow, there's an awful lot possible this fall if that guy's under center and he's going to put the ball on guys like that. We, we, we could maybe showcase some playmakers again. And, um, you know, not that there's an overabundance of them here, but, you know, you get the ball out on time or you check us out of bad plays and get us into right protections and live to fight another day. And so instead of a second and 17 running around trying to make a play that's not there, it's second and 10 uh, or second and eight. You know, that can really change your fortunes on a particular drive. And he started to show that ability as well as dropping some of those dimes. So fast forward into the fall here, I think he takes that momentum, that understanding of the offense, the offseason to learn it even more, and wins the job. What then would Jordan Travis be willing to do? Would he, at that point, say, okay, well, you know, here's the thing. McKenzie wins the job. He's the starter this year, but I've still got more time. When he leaves, I can be the starting quarterback the following year. Do I want to risk injury being a Swiss Army knife, playing this role of playmaker and and having to be a, a position player, a, a kind of a do-it-all kind of guy at receiver, in the slot, out of the backfield, whatever it might be, because uh, it's not as if he was particularly durable last year. It's really he's had nothing but injury troubles, and that's not me knocking him as much as it is an observation. That's just factual. He has not been very durable. Now, I know he's put on muscle. I know he's gotten bigger. And that that was absolutely a necessity. But it's interesting. I mean, you know, getting bigger so that you're able to withstand, obviously, the physicality of the game as a quarterback who scrambles and runs to make plays when things break down and, you know, and, and it's going to take some shots. That's a lot different than putting on that weight and hoping to have the durability that a position player does, especially a featured position player on an offense, where you're going to get hit a lot more than when you pick and choose to to run and get down or not. So, uh, you know, I, I I will say that quote s- tends to lend itself towards a guy who's selfless and being a really good teammate and showing a willingness that if it doesn't work out the way that he wants it to as a starting quarterback, he's still going to do whatever is necessary for his team to win. It's good news for us because that's a guy that I think absolutely you have to have on the field in the fall, whether he wins the job or not. you got to have him out there because he is probably the most electrifying player you have on offense. I can't think of anybody else who makes people miss in a phone booth quite like he does. So I that getting back to Chris's observation there to me on Twitter – yeah, on the one hand, it's interesting that he's kind of willing to show you that in his mind he's contemplated not winning the job. Kind of kind of rare for guys that are, let's say, neck and neck in a, in a competition. On the other hand, it is really, really encouraging to hear him say that because it means that he can still be very effective for Florida State, and they're going to need him to be. In whatever capacity uh, he's utilized, they're going to need him to be something special because there's just not a lot of special uh, in this group. It's the Jeff Cameron Show, 97.9 ESPN Radio.
can't find a better headline in America today than the one I woke up to in the New York Times. Sipping a cup of joe with a smile from ear to ear. Buoyed yet again at my connection to you, the listeners. For years now, we have forged this bond. And you know me like a family member. And I trust you the same. Because I read that headline today and said to my wife before she left for work, "Hun, wait till you see how many times this gets copied and pasted and sent to me. Last week, it was that poor son of a gun that fell out of the damn hot air balloon and died. I got 50 people via tweets and texts and email sending me this bastard who's hanging by a thread off the basket of a hot air balloon for all to see. Woo, that's a toughie. Because you guys have heard the you've heard the clips. You know. That's not the gift. Don't give that to Oma and Opa. Don't say, well, you know, Nana would really love to go in a hot air balloon. I'll gift it to her. Nope. You're probably sending her to her demise. How many times do you need to see a hot air balloon go awry into some power lines while people all along the lines on the ground scream out, No, for the love of God, all the humanity. This time around, it was a man and a group of people who lost control of (laughs) the hot air balloon. Saw it get intertwined with some wires as they're wont to do. The basket tips over, Matthew, and the guy that's the pilot of the hot air balloon. So you've got your guests on the on the hot air balloon in the basket, the wicker basket, which always feels flimsy to me. And there they are, and uh, and and the the captain, for lack of a better term, gets thrown out the damn basket when they hit the lines. But unfortunately for him. Now, that's bad enough. He doesn't fall to the ground to a quick death. No, his foot gets wrapped up in one of the cords, so he's dangling from the basket, underneath the basket, while the folks in said basket are holding on for dear life because this thing's tipping sideways and Holmes' foot, and they're watching in horror as your boy is a, it, he's helpless. 
The thing gets whipping around and rises back up, back up, back into the air. So every second he's stuck under the basket, he's going higher and higher and higher, thinking, please, God, whatever's holding my foot into place, don't let loose now. When, whoop, let's lose peace dead in front of everybody. They end up drifting wayward from the landing spot originally, and they're able to get down low enough at one point as they careen helplessly out of control, and leap out of the basket, all of them. They survive. Broken ankles, broken backs, torn knee ligaments, but they're alive. They got low enough where they said, F it, let's jump, which would have been my call. That's a toughie, but they lived. I got sent that story. Then this, the gift from the gods today. Here's the headline that I woke to reading the paper this morning. Grizzly bear terrorizes, uh, terrorizes a man for days. Coast Guard sees his SOS sign comes to the rescue. Down to his last rounds of ammunition. With bruises and a severe leg injury, the man was rescued by a helicopter crew that just happened by. He's out there living in Alaska. Who knows what he's running from? Probably a criminal. Freaking hippie. He's out there in Alaska, living off the land. The land fights back. You're out there in some flimsy-ass trailer, and a grizzly says, I'm starving. Holmes is cooking over here every night. Looks like there's food, both living and dead. I'm going to make a go of it. He's stuck. Water rises. He can't get out from this ravine he's in. The bear is hunting him for days, circling his abode. It rips the door off the hinges trying to get to him. He is shooting at the bear, shooting into the air, at the bear, anything he can do. He can't get out, can't get help, has no communication, ends up having to go on top of the trailer and spells out SOS for anybody flying over. Eventually, he's rescued. This will be a movie. That article by uh, Neil Vigdor, you can read. Well, you probably can't read. It's a pain in the ass. The New York Times, like a lot of other outlets, make it very difficult to read these days. But what I would tell you is that uh, that's out there. And it warmed my heart because I just read the headline again. That's a great headline. Grizzly bear terrorizes a man for days in Alaska. Hmm. Okay. All right. I've seen that's a movie. There's an actual movie. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I'm watching this thinking and I'm reading this. This is all right. And I knew before I ever got to the office, that this would have been sent to me countless times. And you guys, you listeners, came through for me. And I just wanted to say thank you. This was not going to be more promo material per se. I just wanted to say thank you because you know me. You know me so well. We've connected. We've connected in ways that I'm very proud of. Keep them coming. I did catch it. These things don't usually skirt past me. I when animals do what animals do and humans are on the wrong side of it, I tend to smile, especially if they put themselves in that position. You guys know the mantra on the show is thin the herd. There's a good one. There's a good one. This guy got rescued. I used to live in Alaska. It's a wonderful way to begin a story. I've always begun to wonder at that point, hmm, where's this going to go? It's Jeff Cambridge, 97.9 ESPN Radio. Tom Lang going to join us next hour from Charlotte. We'll get more from the ACC meetings. Life's begun, nights are warm and the days are young.
Last night they loved you Opening doors and pulling some strings Hey! 